Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers and welcome to issue 4047 of the world's longest running audio newspaper for a world whose obsession with the visual shows no signs of abating. I'm Andy Zaltzman, live... Hang on, let me just check that. Oh, that's a solid 280 per minute pulse. I get so excited when I do this show. Live and in zero dimensions, count them losers, coming to you from the west coast of the USA, here in the city named after a sense of bereavement and wobbly desserts, loss and jellies. Uh, loss and... Don't worry, that's the last one of the show. And joining me, <laughs> thanks to the wonders of modern technology, via a very long piece of string across the Pacific Ocean and a couple of yoghurt pots, from Sydney, Australia, it's Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Alice. How are, how are you? I just got back How's... from America, so we're sort of tag-teaming around the world. Yeah, we're basically hammering the environment. I hope you've followed the elaborate uh, clues that I've left to a prize at the end of I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, that now sounds intriguing, but I only have another, <laughs> another 12,000 or centuries. I just want you to turn right. over every um, bin in the city. <laughs> yes, a lot of people seem to be beating me to that. <laughs> um, this... Is Bugle 4047, 4047, coincidentally the age based on current progress at which Theresa May uh, will be able to honestly use the sentence, yes, we've made some real progress with the talks. Uh, and here in LA, the date is the 10th of Ding Dong Doodle. Uh, sorry, they write the dates the other way around here. It's the 20th of October. Odd name for a month, that. Lucky we cut it off at 12. It is uh, 214 years to the day since arguably the key moment in the rise of Donald Trump to power, the Louisiana Purchase, when America slapped down a $15 million bill on Napoleon's French ass and walked off with 2 million square kilometres of Republican heartland. Um, uh, so if you want someone to blame for Trump, uh, blame Napoleon. Um, rather than anyone else. In Australia, it is the 21st of October, uh, already already in what is currently tomorrow, uh, and on the 21st of October, 1983, uh, Alice, a, a significant milestone for humanity, the metre, the celebrity distance, was defined at the 17th General Conference on Weights and Measures as specifically... The distance that light travels in a vacuum in one two hundred ninety-nine million seven hundred ninety-two thousand four hundred fifty-eighth of a second. Wow! Uh, so they Science finally fact. nailed it down. Up until then, the meter had been defined as uh, the length of about five quite big carrots, or a <laughs> bit higher than a table, or uh, about this much. Or 5% of the horizontalitude of a blue whale. So uh, finally good to uh, get it absolutely pinned down. 1947, on uh, the 21st of October 1947, the House Un-American Activities Committee began its investigation into communist infiltration of the cinema, uh, of the film industry in the United States, um, resulting in a blacklist that prevented many from working in the industry uh, for years. The uh, Un-American Activities Committee... Uh, oddly failed to blacklist itself uh, as perhaps one of the most un-American things ever invented. Uh, but it was very bad news for two top Hollywood stars of the time, the cartoon characters Harry the Hammer and Susie Sickle. <laughs> Although, to be fair, there had been rumours about their communist sympathies ever since their 1937 hit movie, Peter the Poet Goes to the Gulag. This is the show for the week beginning Monday the 23rd of October 2017. It's the 50th anniversary of this same day 50 years ago, the day on which Herman J. Trelikins, the fictitious American inventor, announced his intention to create a machine that could turn made-up people into real ones. Uh, sadly, Herman can't be with us today because uh, it didn't work. 
Uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going uh, straight in the middle. Well, a few sections this week, including This Week in Shapes. We look at rectangles, circles, non-equilateral triangles and ask, is there a future for the rhombus? Also in the bin, a free audio goat. (laughs) Please, buglers, for heaven's sake, use that wisely. And with Christmas now just two months away, we have a special Christmas shopping advice section. Save it all to the last minute. We are just dust in the wind of history anyway. Uh, Those sections all in the bin. Top story. Uh, In sexual harassment news, uh, the recent allegations about Harvey Weinstein have been exploding out into the world, a new world for women in which we've suddenly realised that people are going to listen when you tell them about that sleazy dude who did that sleazy thing. Uh, New stories have been emerging left, right and centre, including one about Carrie Fisher, who apparently sent a cow's tongue to a sleazy producer in Hollywood. She personally delivered it in a Tiffany's box after hearing that he forced (laughs) himself onto a friend. I think that is absolutely the appropriate gift for a sleazy dude being a slimy, rough and a toxic mixture of testosterone and socialisation leading to an arrogant entitlement to the bodies of women. No, wait, that's men again. Cows are a gentle creature whose only sin is being delicious and <laughs> farting a lot. <laughs> that's, that's two sins there, Alice. Well, it depends. It depends if you consider being delicious a sin. Oh, uh, well. Women in Hollywood and around the world are using the hashtag MeToo to share their experiences of sexual harassment. In France, women are using... Hashtag balance ton porc, uh, which roughly translates to rat out your pig. Uh, This hashtag (laughs) went viral this week and encourages women to speak up in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Uh, The French government has uh, capitalised on this recently, proposing a bill that seeks to crack down on sexual harassment, which would include, according to Gender Equality Minister Ms Schiappa, on-the-spot fines for, quote, when someone breaks into your vital space, talks to you within 10 or 20 centimetres of your face, follows you for three, four, four, five or six streets or asks for your telephone number about 17 times. (laughs) It's very specific and I think it's like something that happened to her. It's got the specificity (laughs) of this dude this morning. Uh, I think on-the-spot fines for sleazy douchebags on public transport are an amazing idea. France is going to be the richest government in the world in about five minutes. (laughs) If I had a dollar for every time some dude said something disgusting to me about my body and his jizz, I would be richer than Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) Also, if on-the-spot fines for sexual harassment were given directly to the women being harassed, you would fix the pay gap within a month. It's interesting that she went for... uh following you for three, four, five, or six streets. I mean, that's got a specific range, that, isn't it? I mean, because you think, I mean, one or two might be coincidence. Seven, I don't know, is that is that because that's now showing a, a level of romantic commitment that needs to be acknowledged, or...? I think at seven, or, you're married. That's how it works. I mean, you'd have thought three or four would start to get to the, uh, you're obviously not going to get the telephone number phase of the conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Women aren't very good at maths, so this uh, is the world um, we live in now. I can make that joke and you can't laugh at that joke. This, <laughs> 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 um, I mean, it is, uh, it's been a hugely... Uh, depressing story and uh, I guess a, an encouraging response to it. It's a story that made Hollywood manage to make itself look even less ethical than it already did, which is in its own way quite an impressive feat of uh, of moral gymnastics. Uh, it's kind of bizarre, shameful, patriarchal omerta that does slightly make you think, Alice, that perhaps 
men ought now to be taking a break from their current two million year stint as the de facto gender in charge of planet Earth. Um, I think we've had maybe a fair crack of the whip and just a little mental refresh, reassess our priorities and goals as a gender, chill out and then come back refreshed for another two million years. Just have a little bit of a sit and think about what you've done. You know, just just sit back, have a cup of tea, feel regret and shame, uh, come back into society better men. And on behalf of all women, I forgive you. <laughs> we fixed it. Right, excellent. I mean, do you think this, this marks a genuine turning point in global gender relations where the behavioural benchmark for the likes of Harvey Weinstein uh, ceases to be what can I get away with? Uh, and then maybe he starts... You know, people like him start wearing special wristbands, you know, the, the old uh, WWADHBD, uh, which is what would any half-decent human being do? <laughs> yeah, catcalling could be, uh, that's, that could become a, could become a crime, essentially. Yeah, an on-the-spot um, fine. This is a fantastic thing. I just want a pay wave thing. You know, the thing where you tap your card on a, I just want to have that every time I, some dude does something. Just be like, ah, oh, I'll have that $50, please. <laughs> Although it might provide a perverse incentive for women to walk around looking vulnerable. <laughs> well, that is a joke I could not possibly have made, Alice. So You're welcome. <laughs> China news now, and, well, it's been a fun-packed hullabaloo at the Communist Party Congress in Beijing. 2,000-plus delegates coming together for the quinquennial celebration of Chinese communism for a frank and open exchange of view, of, of, <laughs> of the one view that is allowed in China. Uh, they had the, uh, as always at the uh, Congress, the Communist Quiz Night, a load of multiple-choice questions such as who will be leader of the Chinese Communist Party in five years' time? Is it A, Xi Jinping? Is it A, Xi Jinping? Is it A, Xi Jinping? Or is it A... Xi Jinping, classic, uh, classic quiz night. Also, some uh, dug out some of the old communist board games, including State Monopoly, um, <laughs> Whack the Poet, and uh, Ignore the Human Cost of an Oppressively Controlling Government, which is a bit like backgammon, but different in every single way. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, sensational television for the neutral, the uh, Chinese Communist Party Congress. All action, fun for all the family. The keynote speech by President Xi was three and a half hours long. Um, which, I mean, I've been known to bang on for slightly too long at my gigs, but I've never managed a three and a half hours uh, straight through. But that is, when you think about it, Alice, that's one very good way to get a standing ovation, to talk for so long that when you finish, people just have to get the blood back into their limbs <laughs> by standing up and clapping. I think it's an astonishing achievement. The speech ran for 65 pages, and I believe it laid out the Chinese Prime Minister's vision for boring the rest of the world to death. <laughs> Three and a half hours is too many hours. That is a bad date with a professor of finance who's decided to tell you about his childhood. That is letting your drunk auntie tell you the whole story of her first divorce. Like, this is way too long. A uh, range of reviews uh, from the Chinese media uh, range from it was very, very good to it was very, very good uh, via it was very, very good. Uh, he said some uh, some interesting things. He said this, It is time for us to take centre stage in the world and to make a greater contribution to humankind, which um, contrasts with Donald Trump, who recently said, It is time for us to leave centre stage in the world and make a lesser contribution to humankind. So two countries going in very much opposite global directions. He also said no country can retreat to their own island. Well, Xi, they can if you offer them the right referendum. Let me tell you that from bitter, 
national experience. <laughs> and he also said, we live in a shared world and face a shared destiny. Well, I think we'll let Brexit be the judge of that. A taste of the speech includes Xi Jinping declaring that the Chinese dream is a dream about history, the present and the future. And then presumably going on to tell you all of those things with the enthusiasm of a five-year-old telling you about what happened in the park. And then there was dinosaurs and then (laughs) Confucianism and then we got really good at making paper. And then Marco Polo came along and stole noodles, though that's historically questionable. (laughs) (laughs) Literally the only thing he didn't mention was Donald Trump. Yes, well, Trump. I mean, Trump has been iced uh, by quite a lot of people this week, Uh, not just Xi Jinping who uh, pointedly didn't mention him, uh, but also Trump's two predecessors in the White House, George W. Bush and uh, Barack Obama, both made speeches uh, which um, did not mention Donald Trump whilst being 120% about Donald Trump. (laughs) They were described, I saw, as, quotes, veiled attacks on Trump's uh, so-called presidency. Veiled attacks. Veiled in the same way that you veil your face by gluing a baby carrot to your nose. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was it was, it was, was pretty obvious who they were talking about without giving it the full <coughs> Donald Trump. Well, they're dodging the Google alerts, right? Although I imagine he's got Google alerts for, like, Donald Trump, dickhead, failure, you know, all, all of that stuff as well. <laughs> Well, he had a Google alert for the latest release of United Kingdom crime figures. Uh, apparently this morning he put out a tweet saying, Just out report, uh, colon, speech marks, United Kingdom crime rises 13% annually amid spread of radical Islamic terror. Uh, close quote marks, not good, we must keep America safe. Well, firstly, congratulations, Mr. Trump. In a 140-character format, you've managed to cram in about 5,000 different kinds of wrong. Um, <laughs> also, that is the most inventive and inappropriate use of quotation marks I have ever seen, because that is so far from what that report said. I'm going to take issue with uh, that, uh, Andy. The most inaccurate use of quote marks I've ever seen was uh, a shop that said fish and chips, but the chips was in quote marks. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll give you that. Maybe they were ironic chips. (laughs) (laughs) Bearing in mind that I'm 43, I don't exercise enough, and I'm not sure at this stage I'm going to be asked to hack it through the unending cogidum to which medical advance will treat my generation. But I probably don't have enough time left in my life in the however many up to 50-ish years on this planet I've got left to properly explain everything that is wrong with what Trump puts in that tweet But I guess having spent a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, breaking down the actual crime figures themselves, factoring in changes in the way crime is recorded in Britain, trends within the subsets of crime, social factors, and the almost total absence of any reference to terrorism in the report, not to mention the statistically minuscule influence of uh, terrorism in the crime statistics, it's hard to imagine not then spending at least 40 years shouting at my computer screen, interspersed with vomiting into any available bucket at what this man is doing to the concepts of truth, dignity, and democracy. Also, it does raise the question quite how he imagines that, uh, for example, a significant and tragic rise in gang-related knife crime in Britain threatens the safety of America, and also how the spread of radical Islamic terror is influencing low-level crime in Britain. Are people thinking, oh no, the caliphate's coming, 
I better go and steal some sausages from the supermarket to tide us over. Maybe this is his logic. Also, the causal link is quite obviously bullshit. I mean, he might as well have said, smartphones improve amid the rise of Islamic terror. Excellent, ISIS loves iPhones. Or US stock markets up again, which he seems to bang on about a lot, amid spread of Islamic terror. Very good, we must keep ISIS strong. Please, Mr Trump, keep your nonsense on your side of the Atlantic. In moon news now, a 500-kilometre lunar cave raises hopes for the human colonisation of the moon. This week, scientists at the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency confirmed the presence of a cave on the moon after examining the hole using radio waves. I don't really understand the science of it, but I think it's high-tech language for the traditional way that humans have always discovered caves, which is standing in the mouth of the cave going, Hello! Uh, the chasm is 50 kilometres long and 100 metres wide. It appears to be structurally sound and it ro- its rocks may contain ice or water deposits that, quote, could be turned into fuel. Because the thing about humans discovering things is that we always want to turn them into fuel. Oh, what a beautiful <laughs> butterfly. I wonder if I can render it down to run a belching smokestack. What will the smokestack <laughs> do? No, it's just a smokestack. The data was sent back by the orbiter, which is nicknamed Kaguya after the moon princess in a Japanese fairy tale, which is adorable and in light of the previous information leads me to think the Japanese space team is made up equally of ruthless capitalists and adorable six-year-old girls, which, to be honest, would make sense of some of the aesthetic and cultural choices made by Japan in the last half century. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, this this cave, which, I mean, the initial report said 500 kilometres, and then that was scaled back to 50 kilometres, I think possibly due to a misprint rather than uh, scientists getting overexcited. But it does make you think, as there's, you know, one-sixth gravity on the moon, one-sixth of our Earth gravity, do you really want to live in a cave? You're not just going to spend your entire time smashing your head <laughs> on the ceiling. On the other hand, Andy, you could become the sportsman you've always secretly been on the inside. With lesser gravity, uh, you could leap higher, move faster, be stronger, and your hair would stand directly up. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it from that, that perspective. Um, I do have a, a, a magazine from the, uh, from the 1930s, um, which uh, I bought on eBay because that's the kind of guy I am. Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, called World of Wonder, and it was like a kid's, uh, kids' magazine, like science for children. Uh, and it does have a page uh, which is entitled If a Test Match Were Played on the Moon and it has this glorious illustration of people <laughs> playing cricket on the moon. Bear in mind this is a long time before people actually went to the moon. Um, I mean it does have someone bowling a massive no ball to start with but it has an explanation of why cricket would be quite difficult on the moon. I'll just read some of it for you. No, I'm glad you brought this up because I sat and had this on my, on my computer. What have you done Alice? <laughs> This imaginative picture shows us in vivid fashion how very different are the conditions on the moon from what they are on Earth. I mean, that's, they knew that even in the 1930s. Of course, the absence of atmosphere, uh, I mean, a lot of people say cricket has that at the best of times, and the <laughs> tremendous variations of heat and cold would make it impossible for a human being to live on the moon. Don't be so negative, 1930s. But assuming these conditions could be overcome and... You know, a fifty-kilometer underground cave. I mean, that—that that, I mean, that offers what a glorious prospect of human colonization. Living in a fifty-kilometer cave. Should we nip out, darling? No, it's a hundred degrees centigrade outside because it's daytime. We will literally boil, or maybe this evening when the sun's gone in. No, well, that'll be a minus one hundred and fifty. Let's put our overcoats on. That should do it. Anyway, so <laughs> returning to this, assuming these conditions could be overcome. 
the 1930s article on Cricket on the Moon continues. We should find life on our satellite very strange indeed. The pull of gravitation being so much less. Everyone could jump six times as high and run six times as fast and hit six times as hard as on the Earth. This article is foreseeing the invention of 2020 cricket, basically. <laughs> this, this is... This is, I mean, to be honest, if Indian businessmen read this article now, I mean, we, they would be a moon cricket league by the end of this year. <laughs> the absence of air would mean that a ball bowled uh, or struck by a bat would go on without resistance for an enormous distance. Uh, a good blow uh, would send the cricket ball hurtling over the mountains. I mean, everyone is tuning in for this. Everyone, I mean, the, the, what you could get for sponsoring the six, isn't that? Sorry if this is a bit niche for some of you buglers. And in most <laughs> matches, if not all, every ball would be a lost ball. I, I mean, that might cause certain logistical issues. Uh, it would be practically impossible to catch balls travelling with such speed. Uh, even in the daytime, the sky would be quite dark, for the sun's rays would reach the moon direct without being broken up by nitrogen crystals, as in our atmosphere. So there you go. That is all science from the 1930s about cricket on the moon. It's a great insight into the historical approach of the British, which is, can we play cricket on it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what took us around the world so successfully. <laughs> Just one other quick Trump story, um, and it's to do with art. Um, n- not always to natural bedfellows, Donald Trump and fine art, uh, but uh, in his uh, Trump Tower... Um, there is a Renoir picture two, uh, called Two Sisters on the Terrace by the uh, French Impressionism celebrity artist Pierre-Auguste Renoir. Um, the only problem is that that painting certifiably resides in a gallery in Chicago. <laughs> and uh, so what Trump has is a, uh, a, a forgery or a, or a fake. Uh, he has said, no, it's not. Um, uh, so fake art is now muscling in on fake news. The exciting thing, though, this puts me on a personal level with Donald Trump because I have a fake Cezanne, the uh, a pretty good rendition of the card players that I picked up in a charity shop in Streatham for £10. So this is the closest I've ever felt to feeling like Donald Trump. I feel we, we can bond over our, over our possession of fake masterpieces. I mean, the question is, though, Alice, does it matter that his picture... Uh, is a fake, that his Renoir is a fake. I mean, the thing is, they look very, very alike, and I'm sure Trump has it on his wall because he absolutely loves the picture, admires the brushwork and the artistic skill, and sees the Impressionist movement as an example of radical modernity that he wants to see the US economy replicate in its proud march into a more optimistic, high-tech future. I'm sure it's not because uh, it was f***ing expensive and a bit showy. Uh, It ties in really nicely with the rest of his persona. I think it's a showpiece of of his uh, individual... Attitude to truth. It ties in really nicely with the fake charity donations claiming to have called the families of soldiers and also his constant claim to be an actual human being. The man is a fart (laughs) wrapped in an illusion. He is just... (laughs) I I think he's been sent back from the future by a 3D rendering system. He's not not a real... He's not real. I think if you poked him, your finger would probably go right in. I mean, I think also, on the plus side, I mean, some people have sent messages asking us to just leave off this topic for a bit, but it's quite hard, really. He has uh, proved the non-existence of God. Um... Because he, he does refer to he does refer to God a hell of a lot, and I think if God did exist, he would have hauled himself out from behind a cloud and said, "For fuck's sake, Donald, have you even read my book?" <laughs> Donald Trump never reads books. That's it. He's he hasn't even read his own books. <laughs> 
In Australian news now, the rollout of a national disability insurance scheme has been plagued by issues and may need to be plugged by migrants. The Commission said it might not be possible in the short term to train enough allied health professionals. Look, as an Australian, I'm outraged at the slow implementation of the scheme, which is a major reform of disability services designed to provide the right support according to each person's needs and goals in a holistic way across their whole life. The government is bullshit and lame and failing us as Australians. On the other hand, as an Australian who was recently in the US, I find it incredibly difficult to complain about a slight inefficiency in a massive rollout of $22 billion a year of comprehensive government services to an underprivileged group. I mean, of course, yes, it's it's very annoying. It's a failure of our piss-weak, arrogant government, but also I saw people in America whose kidney dialysis was about to run out. Do you know what happens when your kidney dialysis runs out, Andy? I don't. I'm Australian. It makes me feel like... <laughs> It makes me feel like like Paris Hilton complaining that my coffee's three degrees too warm. Buy another coffee, Paris. I think it's going to work out fine. Bugle feature section now and wildlife. Uh, well, it looks like wildlife is, for now, here to stay. Um, still a lot of species knocking around the world. Too many for me, 50 should be plenty. Alice, you are the Bugle's wildlife correspondent. You make flamingos turn into pelicans with fear just by looking <laughs> at them. A veritable one-woman war against pink, long-legged wading birds. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you also, just out of curiosity, do you have a, a problem with flamenco dancing as well? Or No, no, it's slightly too frilly for my personal taste, but I have no long-held right. vendetta. Because, I, mean, um, I mean, I know the dictionary say there is no actual etymological link between flamenco and flamingo, but to me... The origin of flamenco dancing was a guy in a flamingo outfit trying to keep a wasp away from his groin. <laughs> well, Andy, that's made me feel um, less positively disposed towards flamenco dancers, but otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, some wonderful news in the world of wildlife this year, particularly from uh, Jonathan the tortoise uh, on St Helena, who currently, I believe, is the world's oldest tortoise at a solid 186 years old. And uh, he's had a companion named Frederica uh, for the last 25 years or so. But a recent trip to the tortoiseologist for Frederica revealed that she was not in fact a lady tortoise, but may instead have been a gentleman tortoise. And St Helena is yet to legalise gay marriage, and now its most famous resident appears to have been embroiled (laughs) in a a two-and-a-half-decade-long homosexual relationship. I think the whole thing is a massive scandal, not the weirdness of finding a mail-order bride for a 160-year-old tortoise, uh, as he was then, uh, or even the fact that the tortoise has turned out to be gay. But I think Jonathan has failed to fulfil his potential as a St Helena resident, never having racked the European continent with war, suppressed a royalist insurgency, or forced (laughs) the defeated nations of the Fourth Coalition to sign the treaties of Tilsit in July 1807, bringing an uneasy peace to the continent. Someone's been busy on the internet. <laughs> I've been, I've been oh, back on Wikipedia. They've locked down my page, Andy. Too many in- oh, really? <laughs> bugle alterations to my Wikipedia page. Although for a, t- uh, for a time there, I was an expert on the impact of velociraptors on the American political system. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, Jonathan, uh, in his uh, advanced, uh, advanced age, and I mean, it is, to be fair, according to experts, it's very difficult to judge the the sex of a of a tortoise partly because of the very tight fitting outfits that they wear. Um, I, I'm not I'm not judging them. That's, that's, that's just a, a fact. But Jonathan is uh, he's very old. He's blind, 
and he's lost his sense of smell. But the good news is he can still hear. And uh, I'm delighted to say we've got Jonathan the Tortoise on the line <laughs> from St. Helena now. Um, so, Jonathan, uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Hello, Andy. Big fan of the show. Uh, Jonathan, can you tell us about your relationship with, uh, with, with, with Frederick? Butt out, Andy. None of your f***ing business. Uh, 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 sorry, but I just want to know whether it's, because uh, there's been a lot of speculation in the press, whether it's, uh, is, is it more than, than, than just a, a platonic friendship? Stop prying, Andy. Can't a tortoise have a gender-fluid best buddy these days without everyone assuming that they're doing it? Uh, so- sorry, Jonathan, it's just that... It's just you humans are f***ing obsessed with it. Besides, I'm 186. I'm f***ing blind. I can't smell. I have no idea if I even have a f***ing penis, to be honest. And I'm too old to have kids, so just let me live my own f***ing life. S- sorry, I clearly caught you on a bit of a bad day, so there's nothing there's nothing going on with, with young Frederick. No, but he does sound hot, as tortoises go. But there's a bit of an age gap. He's 160 years younger than me. I don't think his parents would approve. Besides, he's a millennial, and I'm a mid-19th century annual. I can't see it working. Uh, okay, and, and have, have you had tortoise girlfriends in the past? Sure, Andy. There was that one back in 1890. Shelley, I think she was called. Although, that's what I call all tortoises, to be fair. Uh, just one more quick question, uh, Jonathan. As someone who's lived through the entire history of Test Match Cricket, which of course began in 1877 when you were a 40-something whippersnapper. Any thoughts on the forthcoming Ashes series between England and Australia? Well, it should be a great series, Andy, and I am very much looking forward to your take on it. In your forthcoming ABC Ashes podcast, The Unbelievable Ashes, I'm sure that will be a hoot. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, uh, Jonathan and Sarah Lena there, and uh, you will be able to hear that podcast from mid-November onwards. Produced wow. by ex-Bugleman Tom Wright. <laughs> that guy. Uh, so lovely to talk to her. That's our first tortoise that we've had on the show, I think. Beautiful. Uh, f- you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> In other uh, wildlife news, uh, it turns out scientists have found evidence that fish suffer from human-style stress. Uh, this, to me, Alice, is no surprise. Uh, I mean, of course they're f***ing stressed. Half the time they're worried about being eaten, and the other half of the time they're trying to remember what they are, <laughs> and the other half of the time they're worrying about property prices. Because, <laughs> you know, sea, sea, sea levels are rising. That means there's more sea on the market, values go down, and a lot of fish have planned for their retirement based on prices continuing to go up. I know that was unrealistic, but that's a fact. The long-term future looks pretty bleak if you're a fish these days. I think so too. They have to, you have to also remember that they've got a very difficult lifestyle. They spend most of their time in school. The scale of the problem is... I'm not going to, I'm not going to Andy. <laughs> But it is it is interesting. Oh. I think I would be stressed if I were a fish too. You're a weird exception yep. to many vegetarian meal plans and you're under constant threat of being eaten by almost everything, including bigger fish, people, predatory birds, or worse, a flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, the flip side of this, often with, uh, with psychiatric issues such as uh, stress and anxiety, does come enhanced creativity. And uh, recently published this fish poem by a herring from the mid-Atlantic uh, named Lionel Herring. Shark, I don't like shark. If I could bark, I'd bark at shark. He ate my gran, then away he swam. The toothy shitbag of the seas. (laughs) 
In photography news, the Australian Geographic Photography Awards have just come out, uh, so we are including a photography section. Uh, this is a series of photographs, which uh, I will describe to you, given that this is an audio medium. The first one is a picture of some seaweed. Uh, the second one is a picture of a porcupine on a hill looking over a vast vista of mountains lit by a gentle dawn. The third one is some fish dying in a net. The fourth one is some t- t- turtles eating a jellyfish aggressively. The fifth one is a picture of some sort of fluffy bird looking windswept and ruffled and somewhat grumpy. The other one is a picture of an oil slick. Then there's some ice. (laughs) Then there's a dolphin. Then there's a bat, a swimming bat, splashing on some water. And that's it. Right. The wonder of nature. The glorious, overwhelming (laughs) wonder of nature. I feel that has gone into your soul, Andy. Your emails now. This comes in from Dave Burchock uh, on the proper pronunciation of Maryland. And he says it's not Maryland. It's more like Maryland. The official phonetic spelling is Maryland. Uh, well, anyway, uh, it's... Uh, I mean, it's up to me as a, as a British person how I pronounce American states, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, how you um, pronounce things I mean, dictates how everyone else should pronounce them, right? Yeah. That's, that's that's the rules of of Britishness. I mean, there's a very oh, famous really? story about Manuka, which is a city uh, which was until the Queen visited called Manuka. And right. she came and said, oh, what a wonderful place this is, this Manuka. And everyone had to change their, their name. <laughs> if you want to see me mispronouncing uh, names of American places, why not come to one of my <laughs> remaining uh, US tour gigs? <laughs> and of course, uh, this is uh, famously... Uh, international buy a ticket to one of Andy Zaltzman's US Brackets and Toronto Tour Shows Week, proudly supported by the Bugle Podcast. Uh, the forthcoming shows Toronto on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday this week, the 24th and 25th, then Chicago on the 30th, New York on the 31st, Boston on the 1st of November, then Philadelphia on the 5th, Nashville on the 7th, and rounding up in Washington, D.C. on the 8th of November. Uh, do come to all of those shows, uh, particularly Nashville, uh, really particularly Nashville. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's Bugle. Alice, do you have any uh, do you have any shows that you'd like to alert Bugle listeners to? I'll be, I'll be doing the live Bugle on the 16th of November. I'll be in London from the 4th of November doing gigs. Uh, look my stuff up on alicefraser.com or at alliterative, which is my Twitter account. If anyone is really good at sound editing, I've been getting a lot of complaints about my podcast that it's too quiet. Uh, so if anyone wants to help me with that, Hello. just bug them and cry for help. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> turn it up to 11. Well, yeah, no, I would, Chris, but also f*** you. <laughs> so all the details to my US tour shows at andyzaltzman.co.uk. The, uh, yes, the live Bugle show on the 16th of November. Do come to that. That will be Alice uh, Nish and uh, myself. Um, unfortunately, due to new government regulations, uh, people with the following names have not been allowed to listen to this week's Bugle. Uh, Derek, uh, Juliana, Pablo and Maureen. So I'm sorry if, if you do have one of those names... You have to forget what you've just listened to. Sorry, I don't make up the rules. So, hang on, no, I did just make up that rule. I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution. Um, anyway, uh, please show your support also for the Radiotopia Network fundraiser over the next few weeks. More details uh, coming up shortly. Uh, your support is hugely appreciated by everyone here at The Bugle and all my fellow Radiotopiarists. Uh, there is no full Bugle next week, but we will put a show out uh, for you. Then I'll be back uh, on the 3rd of November. Uh, in the meantime, see you at all my gigs in North America from me in Los Angeles and Alice in Sydney. Goodbye. Bye.
Thanks as ever to the Knight Foundation, easily the Bugle Podcast's favourite foundation. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.